Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hi, this is Jordan Moreno, and this is The Valley Now, your weekly feel-good hour where we lift each other up with the stories of good people doing good things in your neighborhood. Every week, we'll be talking with community leaders who have a unique passion for our thriving city and those that make the Valley such a special place to live. Get ready to be inspired by the work they're doing, whether it's mentoring our youth, providing a platform for those without one, or just driving those worthy charitable causes. Listen in on the conversations and join us in raising our community. This is our time to shine, and this is The Valley Now. Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to The Valley Now. And today we're talking about trauma to triumph and really tackling head-on some tough conversations. It's surrounding the reality of human trafficking because, make no mistake, it is happening right here in our community, in your community. And it's kind of time to take our heads out of the sand on it. And so the experts in this space are those at the Phoenix Dream Center. And today I'm joined by Carlos Daniel, who's the Organizational Development Director, and Shauna Sexton, who's the Human Trafficking Recovering Programs Human Trafficking Recovery Programs Director, what a title, and Survivor of Human Trafficking. So good morning and thank you both for joining me. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Let's start out by giving just a little overview of what Phoenix Dream Center does and what you're doing in there and how it might be different from what most people kind of imagine when they think of human trafficking. So the Phoenix Dream Center, um, it started just with a group of people who saw a lot of issues in our community. You know, all of us see the homeless person on the side of the road and, and we wonder how we can actually help them, you know, and it was a group of people that saw that and said, what can we really do? And there were a couple issues we saw in the community, unmet needs that were not being met. And that included childhood hunger, addiction and homelessness, and human trafficking was the biggest one. Back in 2008, by that point, we had the Phoenix Dream Center campus. It's a four-story old embassy suites hotel. And we found a 13-year-old girl just on the side of the road over here on Indian School Road, um, kind of over close to GCU between us. And it just looked awkward. It was that similar situation with, you know, you see someone on the side of the road and figure out how you can help them. And they, we actually did. Our co-founders stopped and asked her if she was okay. And they found out that she was being sex trafficked here in the community and that she was 13 years old. And so we took her to the, the police department. We asked them, you know, what services are available for her. Back then in 2008, there was either, she could either stay in a juvenile detention center or, or they could go back to a group home. 
And so there was no trafficking recovery services for that. So what we did was we connected with police, actually created our own trafficking recovery program, and, and then it just started from there. What we're doing now here at the Phoenix Dream Center is always finding a need to fill and finding a hurt to heal, right? And so our community is ever-changing. Things out there are continuing to just constantly move forward in different things. And so for us here at the Phoenix Dream Center, we're constantly trying to figure out what new ways can we serve our community. So we continue to grow all all of our services here on campus. Back in 2008, when we first started the human trafficking program, for a few years, the only option to take girls who were sick or needed medical care was to drive them around to different hospitals and see which doctors would give them free health care if they didn't have insurance. And so our amazing co-founders came up with um, building a clinic here on site and partnering with some local doctors, local um, departments. So we now partner with Phoenix Children's Hospital and Dignity Health in order to have all of their clinical services here on site. We have created a shelter program so that the, the individuals that aren't ready to give up all of their freedom or maybe working and just need stability somewhere to take a shower and sleep so that they can get to their jobs so that they can exit the life. We created a program just for them so that they can come here and have that safety and security and still get to their jobs. Um, We also see a very high need for behavioral health in the community. Um, We feel like they're being targeted because they're more vulnerable in the community right now. And so we've created a program specifically for them where they just don't really mesh well into the main group of people. So we needed more of that one-on-one care for them instead of the 30 to one, like we have on our main floor. And so they get that more one-on-one care. And um, that's really the new things we're doing here in the last year, but they come into the campus It you know, from the outside, it looks like an old, old hotel. So they walk in, they're kind of freaked out, um, <laughs> but we get to bring them up to the third and fourth floors and they get to see They walk into this room that has a name on it. It doesn't have a room number. It has a name. And the name is Treehouse or the Bungalow or Peaceful Place. And they walk into this room and it's beautifully designed into this amazing apartment with, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So they're they're essentially therapeutic dream rooms. Um, So beautiful spaces that were designed to help ground them, help make them feel safe. Yeah. With sensory uh, modulation yeah. completely throughout the room. So there's different textures, different lights, different kinds of sounds that you can play. And it just, it really gives them a place to feel safe and feel grounded when they start to um, kind of go back through their trauma loop. And every detail really paid attention to. And I feel like, Shauna, you can speak to the impact better than anyone. You went through this program um, just five years ago and talking about how quickly things can change. Five years ago is not that long ago. And now here you are overseeing the entire program. Can you kind of give us a little bit of your story um, and then the impact that just those, those details, that sensory detail had on you when you came into the program? Absolutely. So in 2018, I walked through the doors running from a life that I wish I could have ended. I desperately tried to end my life because I didn't see another way out of the grip of my trafficker. So when I came through the doors here, I threw my hands up and I said, uh, you know, if I could give my life to a man for all this time, for all the wrong reasons, I can give my life to Jesus for all the right reasons. And so I just completely submitted through the program and was just, okay, I'm here to do anything for a better life. Right. And so Coming in, 
And having people really sit down and listen to me without judging me, having a survivor leader talk with me about some of the things that I had been through, that made all the difference. It started to break a wall down to allow me to feel comfortable. But then walking into one of those dream rooms, my first room was the treehouse. And and it smells amazing because it has (laughs) all of this wood imported from Europe. I mean, it has this giant wood door and this tree up the wall that has leaves with quotes on it and little sayings on every leaf and this little sandbox area to just be able to like play with the sand and seashells. And it was so amazing. I cried when I walked in and was just like, this is for me. I thought the room was like made specifically for me because it was so my style, right? (laughs) (laughs) I would cry too. (laughs) Yeah. It was a beautiful moment. I wanted to cry right now talking about it, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's really cool being able to watch how fast things can be accelerated when you really start to take your healing seriously. Mm -hmm. And when you really let go of the expectations of other people around you. And when you have a survivor leader to walk alongside you and say, it's possible, I've done it, you can do it too. You're perfect for this job. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, You know, my team consists of almost completely survivor leadership. So almost every person on my team is a survivor, whether it's trafficking, abuse, addiction, um, something. They all have something in their history to be able to relate to our residents to walk through the doors. Right. By design. And this is such a huge task to take on. Can you speak to some of the, some of the implications and how do, what are some of those stats, both on a local level, but nationally and internationally, the the human trafficking stats would blow you away. You know, it's how do we, how do we kind of become a little bit more vigilant about that? A couple of the stats that really come to mind with all of that is only one out of every 100 women are ever rescued. Wow. That's a very sad number. And we have to change that. Um, Here at the Phoenix Dream Center, we have a bed capacity of 60. Um, With our sister campuses, we have a bed capacity of... Oh, goodness. So it's all encompassing um, the Where Hope Lives Collaborative, which is Streetlight USA, which is where we serve the kiddos, um, 11 to 17, right? Mm -hmm. And then the Short Creek Dream Center up in Utah, that's where we serve actual families who've been trafficked in religious cults. And, and then here is where we serve the young adults. And so it represents the largest residential recovery for trafficking survivors effort in our country. But uh, just to put it into perspective, I mean, here we have 60 beds. Mm-hmm. And to really make an impact in our community, we need a thousand beds. We, we need to make that space available. I mean, I'm turning girls away and, and helping them find other resources because our beds are full. And that's such a heartbreaking call to make when you have a girl that's ready, because when they're ready and they make that call, they're like, you have to honor that moment and take them in immediately or right. you can them forever. Mm-hmm. And how do you combat that? Do you have, you said your sister, your sister campuses, but what are some of the other programs that you partner with to, I would assume if this woman's coming to you or this girl's coming to you and saying like, I'm ready to make a change. You can't, you can't just say no, you know, you can't just say, well, sorry, we're at capacity. What do you offer in terms of resources when you can't necessarily take them in at that time? You know, it really just depends on where they're at in the country. Um, The National Human Trafficking Hotline is always one of my number one go-tos so that they can really help them find a place anywhere in the country um, and a place that would meet their needs. Um, But we do have several organizations. I don't want to start naming out names and and offend anybody, but um, we have some here locally and we also have um, them scattered across the United States. 
And what are some of those foster care implications when you're talking about human trafficking and the patterns with foster care? I don't have the exact stats on the foster care. I know that the numbers don't do it justice mm-hmm. um, because I've most of those aren't reported. And so, you know, oftentimes when you get an 11 year old that's being trafficked by her family, that's not reported or ever known until maybe she's an adult. And so it's really hard to actually see those numbers and get a full grip on what's really happening. There's just so much. This is such a huge task that you guys are taking on. There's so many different factors of it. So I apologize if I'm not eloquently bouncing from from one topic to the other. But I think another very scary thing that as a parent, uh, we hear more and more about is fentanyl. And so can you give us some insight into what you've seen in the way that you're combating that? Absolutely. So here on our campus, we have a, we call it the School of Leadership. And um, it serves about 200 people, mm-hmm. two, about 200 residents at a time. And right now, their main goal is focused on fighting fentanyl addiction. And so, you know, I think fentanyl and our drug use and trafficking oftentimes go hand in hand. And so if we can combat fentanyl, we're actually starting to prevent the trafficking piece. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's such a rampant thing out on the streets. Every street you drive down, you see somebody that's probably addicted to fentanyl. Is that true? Absolutely. Uh, And, you know, they're getting more bold with it nowadays. It's they're sitting at the bus stop and smoking it right in the open because there's so much of it that the cops really can't do too much about it. Our, our, our prisons would be flooded, right? Mm-hmm. If they just started arresting everybody for it. And so the thing is, is, you know, that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's son, that's somebody's father, that's somebody's brother, somebody's sister, right? And, and so that's the way we look at every person out there and the way we just, we want to serve them like they were our own. Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping that we can get them in. Yeah really build them up, help them rebuild their lives, get free of addiction. One of the tough things with fentanyl is that it's also laced with a lot of things. I have my little sister, she lives over in Virginia and she she's a high school student and some kids in her high school took some, you know, low level drugs, but it was laced with fentanyl. And one of the kids overdosed in the bathroom it's and, so scary. and passed away. And it's like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it was like, if you, if a kid made a mistake with some marijuana or different things, They'd have a chance to make it back, but now it's just killing our, our young people. And it's everywhere. That's the thing is it's it's being uh, marketed, for lack of a better term, as, you know, like a candy or it looks like a candy or it's laced with something or it's in this. or And so that's that's scary. The kid factor for adults, too, but the kid factor of being exposed to it so young and in high schools, that's scary. Absolutely. And what about the crisis pregnancy factors? So about 70% of our women that come in are pregnant. Um, And so we have, again, finding another need in the community and and making sure we're meeting that need. We have an entire wing that is um, specifically for crisis pregnancy um, residents. And so when they come in and they're pregnant or they have a small infant and they really have nowhere to go back to that's safe, um, they can come here. And so everything is provided for them and the baby. They have, um, you know, diapers, wipes, formula, um, toys, all the things. Um, but they get to come here and they go. They can go through parenting classes and um, have all of the medical care that they need here on site and be able to really flourish and become the mom that they were created to be. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a beautiful process to watch some of the moms come in 
when they feel so broken and empty and maybe when they didn't have a mom to be an example for them to show them how to be a mom, they get to come here and learn those skills. And it's so amazing. It really is cyclical too and generational. So can you speak to the the way that these women are breaking generational cycles just by making the choice to show up and be like, hey, I'm done. I'm done. I'm ready for something different. Every day. So, you know, I'd say we get a, a probably about half and half where you come in and you're kind of fighting it, right? You're kind of kicking and screaming. You're you're dealing with those soul ties and the trauma bonds. And it's kind of this back and forth where it's, but my trafficker really loves me. Or maybe they don't see them as a trafficker. They see them as their boyfriend. And so they kind of go back out, come back, go back out, come back. And so it's kind of like this push and pull. And, and I also think it's that they see the genuine love here and it scares them. And so they're like, mm-hmm. how can I push them away before they hurt me? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that those survival tactics that they've learned on the streets. Now, the other half that are just absolutely done, they come in and they just they do so amazing. But being able to watch that wall come down and that light kind of turn on in their eyes where they get to start to dream and believe in themselves is the most amazing part. Oh, and yeah. you know, we have this girl. She came, gosh, about two years ago. And she was one of those ones that was kicking and screaming, didn't want to be here, but didn't really have a choice and then left and went back out to her trafficker. Well, she ended up getting pregnant and came back to us um, about a year ago. And she is the difference in the person that she was when she was fighting it and the difference in the person that she is now that she's just accepted it and is wanting a better life Mm -hmm. is so tremendous. I love it. It's, just, it's so beautiful to watch. And we joke all the time about, you know, how she was two years ago and who she is now. And she's just so amazing. I'm so proud of her. She's become such a good mom and just watching her really start to dream. Okay. What do I want to do for my future? What do I want for my daughter? You know, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful process. And I appreciate that everything that you do is with that trauma informed lens and kind of the trauma. I think that that's a big topic right now and something that a lot of organizations that are serving those those vulnerable populations, whether it's homelessness or addiction, are really using that trauma-informed lens. And do you find that that makes all the difference in the world? Because it's something that's not... When you're... I, I trauma-informed certified too. And so the when you're first learning and going through it, it it's kind of counterintuitive sometimes to just kind of the culture that I think we've built over time. Uh, but yeah, do you notice that just taking that extra time and, and being having your eyes open to the trauma and the experiences that each of these people have had before they come to you that makes all the difference? Absolutely. A hundred percent. It really does. It allows that space for them to be able to process um, without feeling judged. Mm-hmm. And it allows them to start to make choices for themselves. So if you could imagine it, you know, our average age here in Arizona of a girl being trafficked is 13. And the average age of a male being trafficked is 11. And so if you could imagine if you were being trafficked since the age of 11 or 12 or 13, all of your choices have been taken away from you mm-hmm. for your life. So even, you know, deciding what to wear, deciding what to eat, deciding where to go, who to be friends with, all those things were taken from you, right? And so when you come in here, 
and you finally have a way to make your own decisions, it's a complicated process. You're like, well, how do I make this decision? Yeah. Just giving them that free reign to say, okay, here's what's in front of you. If you make this decision, there's a consequence. If you make this decision, there's a reward. And if you make the the decision that earns you a consequence, then we're going to walk together through that. And we're going to, you know, walk alongside you so that next time you can make a better decision for yourself. But we don't not let them make that decision. We allow them to so that they can learn from it and learn to make a better one next time. And part of the growing process too. Yeah. One of the things that I love about the Dream Center, so there's kind of three components that makes our program very unique from different aftercare facilities. And one of them are the anchor points. So the medical facility on campus, the the dream rooms on the fourth floor, the, the salon, the eye clinic we have, the learning center, computer lab, all these different areas, the classes on campus. Um, but there's also the family care model, which is different. When there was, there's one of the girls that uh, Shana was telling her, you know, some, some sort of improvement she needed to do within her room, you know, just taking care of it or something. And, and there was an interaction that she was like, you know what, I'm just going to leave this and that. So she left. Two days later, she calls Shauna and she's like, Shauna, I'm ready to come back home. You know, and she said, oh, like she this wasn't just another program for her. This was her tribe, her family that she found. It's such a beautiful process because, you know, once the girls start to really decide to trust, right, they start to call all of their different staff members different things like, oh, that's my auntie or that's my mama or that's my <laughs> sister or, you know, and, and so it's really cool to watch like who they name what to them right and because they all have a different bond with different staff members and so some of us become their mama and some of us become their auntie and it's it's really really cool process to see and those moments I mean I had a girl who graduated our program and called me the other day and was just like I just want to thank you so much all those classes that you made me go through I thought they were so stupid at the time she's like but I'm actually using the skills now out here (laughs) imagine that (laughs) Right. Oh and my God. See, I told you, you know, <laughs> like I need to come back and speak to all the girls that are there and encourage them, you know, that just stick through it, stick through it because it does work. And you know, it's really cool to get those phone calls. And with that family care model, once they graduate, it's not, we don't talk to them anymore and they're out in the world. No, it's, Hey, come back. Hey, we're going to do a graduate, you know, outing and we're all going to go have lunch together or, you know, and it's really keeping that community with them so that they, they feel like they still have somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. somewhere to come back to. And it's it really gives them that encouragement to go back out into the community and feel safe. About 73% of our residents don't have any family support or were trafficked by their family. Mm-hmm. And so that goes into a little bit of the foster care implications. It's also children who maybe had parents, but were trafficked by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's according to Polaris, which is connected to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. They're one of the leading research institutions for trafficking in our country. Um, back in 2020, it was a majority of cases um, for children were actually trafficked by their own family um, and in the United States. Mm-hmm. Why would a family do that? I mean, to me, I am a parent. It is infathomable. Um, but what are some of the reasons that you've heard or, you know, not that it, it yeah. makes up for it, but what is kind of the motivation behind it? Is it money? I'll give you a story. So there, we had one of our gals um, who graduated our program. She she was trafficked by her mother um, at about two or three years old and for drugs. And then she ended up in the foster care system. 
then from the foster care system, she ended up being trafficked. Um, and then it was just a cycle. And so there's a lot of different reasons that family members will do it. Um, a lot of times it will be um, for within the drugs or for money or for, for different things. But what would you say, Shauna? For different yeah, unfortunately, like, like we talked about earlier, it's a cycle, right? And it's generational. Mm -hmm. And so if that's what a mom grew up with and that's all she's known, you know, or she was trafficked since she was 13 and now she has this child in the world and never received any healing or, or support on how to, you know, move past and break those generational curses, you know, it essentially gets passed down. And so we really have to start initiatives out in the community to educate people, but also have more support groups. So there are a few support groups out there. I know Catholic Charities does one um, and then Starfish Place does one. And we are also starting an outpatient initiative here with the Phoenix Dream Center. Uh, we are going to do a survivor-led star group out of our, um, we, have a, we have a little storefront right on 27th Avenue, which we run regular outreaches out of. And so we're right there reaching out to the women every Saturday, providing them with a hot meal and some clothing, hygiene products, just really trying to pour that love into them and let them know when you're ready, we're here. Um, and so we're going to be starting outpatient services there as well and doing groups so that survivors in the community, if they don't need a full program, they just need more support. They could come out to that fountain um, area and just have that support with us there. That's awesome. And how do, how do people find you, whether it is just for kind of an outpatient sort of thing, or how do women find you when they show up on the doorstep? What does that process look like? There's so many ways. So we're connected with the National Human Trafficking Hotline. So any girl calling from anywhere around the nation um, is able to get our information from them. We also partner with all of the local police departments um, and the heat units. So we go out and do outreaches all the time with Phoenix Police Department, with Scottsdale Police Department, Glendale, um, Mesa, and um, you know we're connected with other NGOs around um, the valley, around the country. Um, Homeland Security, FBI. So we really have a good connection out in the community that if they're running into anybody that's being trafficked, they have this option to bring them to. Well, what else is on the horizon for you for this year? I know the outpatient, that's going to be huge yeah. and a, a huge undertaking, but anything else that we can kind of keep an eye out for? Well, the there's kind of, there's two big needs that that are facing our community here in Phoenix and the Valley. And it's more beds. Um, that's the first thing. There's there's waiting lists and there's not enough beds within different aftercare facilities in Arizona. Um, and the second need is mental health and behavioral health services. Um, and then especially when you layer in a trafficking survivor who has behavioral health or mental health needs, at combining the two. And so step one is expanding the, the behavioral health and mental services at this site. Um, Step two that we're looking at is expanding, um, tripling our capacity of our programs at different facilities so that we can address the bed problem. Yeah. And yeah, no no simple task with the way that housing and land and construction. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing about all that you do um, and all that's coming up. And, and please keep us in the loop on everything. Where can someone go to, if they want to help out or learn more? What kind of opportunities do you have for us to get involved? 
Absolutely. So they can go to the uh, Phoenix Dream Center website, www.phoenixdreamcenter.org. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And then um, we also give public tours every Tuesday here on our campus at noon. So if they want to show up, they can come in, do a tour, see see all the things that we're doing here. It's, it's quite incredible. I'm blown away every day and I've been here for five years. Yes. So <laughs> just walking around the campus and seeing all of the updated things that continue to happen. Thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing out in the community. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. All right. I want to give a very special thank you to my guests today. And I want to thank you for being a part of the program and making our community an amazing place, not just to live and to work, but most importantly, to play. You can hear the Valley now on the radio with audio on demand on radio station websites and the Odyssey app. My name is Jordan Moreno. Shine your light, share your love, and join us again next week right here on the Valley Now. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.